Hello, Americans. Stand by for news. Yes. Please do. We got lots of Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. None of it good. I got the feeling that something ain't right. That's not true. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I'm making stuff up and right I'm off the bat. I'm I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, on in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, and yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for, well, what seems to be shaping up as the uh, as the Bradcast News Hour today, Desi <laughs> yes, Doyen. I know. As news continues to roll in today. Most notably, you'll be shocked to learn concerning GOP crime and corruption. But the uh, but the headlines out of Libya today are the most breathtaking, frankly, as the number of dead from unspeakable weekend flooding is now being estimated at 20,000 with reports that bodies are now everywhere. In eastern Libya, largely in or near the town of Derna, where the massive climate change enhanced rainfall over the weekend, 16 inches in one single day, led to uh, dams collapsing and a humanitarian crisis now with thousands of dead in the streets, in the water, nowhere to put them. And still thousands more missing in what are just truly horrifying scenes. More on that in our Green News report a little bit later this hour with Desi Doyen. But it's also worth noting today that, sadly, none of this really comes as a surprise in truth. And there is more. There is, sadly, much more on the way in our climate-changed future as new numbers from the uh, Berkeley Earth uh, labs seem to uh, seem to demonstrate today. The uh, the scenes are just truly horrifying. As Zeke Housefather of Housefather, I should say, of Berkeley Earth reports on new numbers for the globe's long, cruel summer 
that just continues to continue, I guess, at this point, even though we're into fall. And these numbers, they are not good. As Housefather reports on uh, Twitter, August 2023 shattered prior August heat records with temperatures at 1.68 Celsius above the 1850 to 1900 period. That is, of course, above the one and a half degrees Celsius average that the Paris Climate Agreement hopes to avoid. It seems a good possibility, Desi Doyen, that we will not be avoiding that, at least this year, and I think for the first time. Yes, it does seem um, pretty much inevitable that at least parts of the world, if not the entire planet and its global average temperature this year will uh, go above 1.5 degrees Celsius. Again, that's the target in the Paris Climate Agreement that we're all supposed to try to avoid hitting over the long term when the Earth shifts into 1.5 degrees or higher permanently on human time scale. So this is a, a temporary in, incursion, but it's something that would be quite uh, quite devastating. Well, we, As you can see, this is what it looks like when you're at 1.5, 1.6 degrees above pre-industrial levels. Well, we, we think it's temporary. We hope it's temporary. I mean... We do. We hope it's temporary, temporary, and the, the, the targets aren't to avoid 1.5 degrees on, in any one particular Correct. year, but rather over decadal scales and so right. forth. Still, it's alarming. In uh, Berkeley Earth's August update, they find that 2023 as a whole is virtually certain to be the warmest year on record with a roughly 50 percent chance of reaching 1.5 degrees Celsius. The Earth's average temperature has been at record-setting levels for June, July, and August. Housefather uh, reports September seems to be keeping up the trend of exceptionally warm temperatures so far. August was also the single warmest monthly anomaly. That means, uh, in this case, a departure from the period 1951 through 1980 that Berkeley uses as its normal period. It's reference point. Yeah. Uh, This is uh, so it's going to be the single warmest monthly anomaly in the entire historical temperature record beating February of 2016. Sixty five countries had their warmest August on record, including, among others, Brazil, China, Colombia, Iran, Iraq, Japan, Kenya, Mexico, Morocco, Peru, Philippines, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Sri Lanka, Sudan, uh, Tanzania, which how do you pronounce that occasionally? <laughs> you mean yeah. how Trump pronounces it? Yeah. T- t- Tanzania. Tanzania, uh, Turkey and uh, Venezuela. As the Earth saw areas of record setting warmth in the southern U.S., Mexico, much of South America, Japan, eastern Australia, central Africa, North Can- uh, Canada, large parts of the North Atlantic. <laughs> it and might just be easier to say which places did, did not, not have their, their warmest yeah. August on record. Anyway, uh, that, as uh, Desi reports on a bit later, combined with infrastructure that is decidedly not built for these kinds of temperatures and the destruction that it ultimately leads to, as we are seeing in Libya this week, all of this, just a preview of what is coming and... Well, why we uh, cover climate the way that we do and that we have been on this program and on our Green News Report for a very long time now, at least 15 years. Thanks all. Thanks entirely to you folks who support our efforts to do so via brandblog.com slash donate. 
Now, as noted, more on uh, Desi's latest GNR a little bit later, including even some encouraging news, I yes, should note, so always. it's not all terrible, uh, or at least a, a few things that you can do about it other than uh, to help us keep reporting this stuff over your public airwaves, even when there isn't a horrific ongoing tragedy because of it. But in other news, in other not particularly surprising news today, though much of the media seems to be treating it as such as if it was a surprise, as if it was a shock, federal prosecutors have indicted Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden, on gun charges, according to court documents. Biden was indicted Thursday in Delaware federal court on three counts tied to the possession of a gun while using illegal narcotics. Two counts are tied to Biden allegedly completing a background check form indicating that he was not using illegal drugs when he uh, purchased a revolver in October of 2018. The third count alleges that he possessed a firearm while using a narcotic. All charges that almost nobody is ever charged with, particularly when they, you know, never used, loaded or even fired the weapon. But of course, that is the so-called special treatment that Hunter Biden is receiving, as Republicans claim, because he is the president's son. Now, the indictment comes after a plea deal that is uh, that might have ended a years long probe into Hunter Biden after that plea deal fell apart as attorneys for both sides disagreed as to whether pleading guilty would in fact allow future departments of justice, say one run by Donald Trump, if he becomes president again, to file new tax related charges uh, against Hunter based on the same set of uh, of issues. Biden's attorneys believe that the plea agreement is actually already in place as it was offered by the DOJ and then signed by Hunter Biden. The case in these uh, new indictments are being overseen by special counsel David Weiss, who also headed the investigation that was begun almost five years ago. Weiss is a Trump appointee who was kept on as U.S. attorney for Delaware after Biden took office because of the sensitive and unique nature of the investigation into a president's son by the Justice Department. So do you imagine, can you imagine Donald Trump ever having done anything like that? Oh, they're investigating my son, my daughter. I better not fire them now that I'm in office. I better leave them in. It would look bad. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, anyway, Weiss's investigation was opened back in 2018, the year before Joe Biden even announced his candidacy for president again under Donald Trump. It is that investigation which has so far yielded zero evidence tying any wrongdoing to President uh, uh, Joe Biden, which Trump House Republicans and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are now hoping to use as their basis for the impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden, the uh, inquiry that was unilaterally announced, declared by Kevin McCarthy this week. The lies about it all, about all of this, were at the very heart of Donald Trump's 
very first impeachment when he threatened to withhold U.S. foreign aid from Ukraine unless President Vladimir Zelensky agreed to lie about an investigation into this stuff, into the Biden family. Most of our crime and corruption news today, however, surrounds the seemingly unceasing tsunami at this point of crime and corruption emanating from the Republican side of the aisle, really, uh, and really all over the country. Forgive me because there's so much of it. I'm going to try to fly through as much of it as I can today uh, as, as, as quickly as possible. We begin very briefly with a bit of news out of just one of the four felony, criminal felony indictments now being faced by Donald Trump, the Georgia judge overseeing the 41 count attempted 2020 election theft related racketeering case against former President Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants has ruled that the former president will not go on trial next month in October alongside attorneys Sidney Powell and Ken Cheesebro both of whom demanded demanded an expedited schedule for their trials. In an order on Thursday, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee called the decision to split the sprawling case into multiple trials, a, quote, absolute necessity, unquote, given the complexity of the case and the burden that it would, it would create for the state's court system, he said. McAfee said he doubted the Fulton County Courthouse could even handle a trial for all of the defendants, all 19 of them, at once, despite urging from District Attorney Fonnie Willis to do exactly that. The judge also worried that such a sprawling case would create an unimaginable process for selecting a jury and exacerbate the risk of delays if any defendant or attorney is unexpectedly absent. Prosecutors had claimed that they were prepared to put all 19 defendants on trial together on October 23. But Judge McAfee said the uh, county courthouse simply couldn't handle a trial of that size all at once. Moreover, the judge noted that five of the co-defendants are seeking to transfer their charges to federal court. A challenge that could take months to resolve and raises extraordinary complications if any of their motions are ultimately granted. The judge has not yet set a trial date for Trump and uh, 14 co-defendants who did not demand a speedy trial under the state's uh, provision for speedy trials. The judge has set a December 1 deadline at this point for the defendants other than Cheesebro and Powell. Uh, who are on the expedited timeline, December 1, that's the deadline to file any pretrial motions. The judge must also contend with the fact that Trump has two federal criminal trials already scheduled for next year, when now, in theory, the uh, Georgia trial would also take place. One of those federal trials begins on March 4 in Washington, D.C. for Donald Trump's attempts to steal the election at the federal level. And the other beginning on May 12, uh, May 20 in Fort Pierce, Florida, for uh, his stolen documents, stolen uh, national security documents, and his refusal to give them back under the Espionage Act. And though it has received stunningly little press coverage, given all of Trump's criminal indictments, 
It should be noted that next month, uh, just a couple of weeks from now, on October 2, the New York civil trial against Donald Trump and his three eldest children, Ivanka, Don Jr., and Eric, as well as his company and two top executives at the company, uh, the, the civil trial begins for what New York Attorney General Letitia James, after a three-year probe, describes as uh, the Trump organization falsely inflating their net worth by billions of billions of dollars in wildly fraudulent financial statements that allowed Donald Trump to unlawfully obtain bank loans as well as tax and insurance benefits that he had not earned. That suit, again, starts in just weeks. And in fact, it threatens to bring down the entire Trump business empire if it is successful. So it actually is somewhat amazing, it seems to me, that he's charged with uh, so many crimes uh, that one is uh, hardly even being discussed right now, that that this uh, civil case is hardly even being discussed right now in the news. Hopefully that will change as the trial begins to get underway on October 2. But I did think it was worth noting here today because other than me, I haven't heard anyone speaking about this case recently. I know. In reality, you probably need a spreadsheet just to keep track of everything. I actually have one. (laughs) Speaking of civil suits against corrupt Republican companies in New York, New York City's giant pension funds sued The Fox Corporation and its board this week accusing the company of neglecting its duty to shareholders by opening itself up to defamation lawsuits from the persistent broadcasting of lies about the 2020 presidential election. The suit is the most significant shareholder action since Fox settled their blockbuster defamation suit brought by Dominion Voting System, Uh, They settled that back in April for more than three quarters of a billion dollars, one of the largest ever, if not the largest ever, settlement in a defamation case. Quote, we are shareholders at a company that unfortunately has a longstanding practice of allowing conspiracy theories that its executives and its board know are false to be repeated over and over and over again, despite the very clear and present risk of defamation lawsuits eroding shareholder values, said Brad Lander, New York City's comptroller who oversees the pension funds. Quote, and there has been no effort to make governance reforms in the wake of uh, that disastrous lawsuit against them. They haven't really changed any rules around there to keep it from happening again, at least so New York City is alleging. Now, none of that, however, explains why the hell the funds, these these uh, pension funds were actually invested in Fox at all at this point, knowing for years how wildly corrupt the company's so-called news division was and what a threat that that posed to shareholders. I might suggest those same funds Now go back and review their portfolio right now, if they haven't already, for investments in fossil fuel companies who are similar financial risks to shareholders. Ding, 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 ding. You know, you guys don't have to stay invested in these corrupt companies. 
that endangers the, 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 the pensions for the people that you're supposed to be protecting here. The funds are long-term shareholders of Fox Corporation, the parent company of Fox News, and hold, uh, hold shares that were valued at about $28 million as of the end of July. The state of Oregon, uh, also uh, representing that state's Public Employees Retirement Fund, joined the New York City funds in their lawsuit against Fox. But again, hey, Oregon, what the hell are you doing investing in Fox News. The lawsuit accuses Fox of trying to appease its viewers after the 2020 presidential election by amplifying false claims that Trump and his allies uh, had forwarded that voting had been rigged. It said board directors had known there was a risk of defamation litigation from the false narratives, but, quote, consciously disregarded it and did not undertake good-faith efforts to minimize that risk. The defamation suit brought by uh, voting technology company Dominion is not by any means the only such suit that they still face in this matter. While uh, Fox settled with the company for $787 million earlier this year, Fox faces a similar lawsuit from Smartmatic, another voting system vendor with the... um, Republican about which the Republican News Channel also lied. Dominion has sued for two point seven billion dollars in that case. After after the Dominion settlement, two Fox Corporation shareholders also sued the board uh, board members in April for failing to act on risks of defamation litigation. In June, Fox News paid $12 million to settle with a former producer who had accused the network of allowing a hostile workplace and of coercing her into providing misleading testimony in the Dominion suit. And in July, a man whom Fox News accused of being an undercover government agent at the January 6th Capitol attack uh, as part of an unfounded conspiracy theory, he also sued the network and its former host, Tucker Carlson, for defamation. But all of that comes at the end of years and years of the company having to pay out to people who were suing them for all sorts of things. And yet these pension funds in New York City, in Oregon, and God knows where else, have invested in these companies, have millions of dollars invested in Fo- in the Fox Corporation and in Fox News. Again, people you know wh- whose money are being uh, is is being protected by these funds uh, need to contact the funds and say, "Hey, get the hell out of those companies!" And while you're at it, get the hell out of any other dangerous companies that pose threats to these funds. Again, like the fossil fuel industry companies. Okay, uh, in the uh, I just I, I I read that story and I'm like, what the hell are you people thinking? All right. Uh, in the uh, in the great battleground state of Wisconsin, where we have been uh, covering the threats by Republicans in the state's wildly gerrymandered legislature to impeach newly seated state Supreme Court Justice Janet Protasiewicz to prevent her from sitting on two challenges to the state's wildly gerrymandered state legislative maps. 
after she was elected earlier this year in a landslide and seated on August 1, giving liberals a majority on the Wisconsin High Court for the first time in 15 years. Well, now, I, I can't tell for sure. We've got some news here on that. I can't tell for sure, but the Republicans may be blinking here at least a little bit. As AP reports this week, Wisconsin's uh, Democratic governor, Tony Evers, shot down as, quote, bogus, a surprise plan that Republicans floated that would have the legislature approve new maps drawn by supposedly nonpartisan staff, preempting the newly liberal majority on the state Supreme Court from tossing the current GOP-drawn boundaries entirely in advance of the 2024 elections. The current maps, regarded as perhaps the most unfair and most rigged in the country, now, there's a lot of competition for that, but Wisconsin <laughs> is, is uh, you know, right up there at the top. Uh, those were first drawn, those maps, back in 2011 by Republicans and have ensured their majorities in both chambers of the state legislature over the past decade as statewide voters have otherwise elected Democrats to the top elected offices in the state and in 2020 for president. But... As plaintiffs in the two cases now challenge the maps, point out, no matter how state voters vote, it is virtually impossible to ever dislodge the GOP's unfairly drawn majorities. No matter how the voters vote, Republicans are going to hang on to their majorities in both chambers unless these maps are redrawn. Quote, Republicans are making a last-ditch effort to retain legislative control by having someone legislature-picked and legislature-approved draw Wisconsin's map, said Governor Evers in a statement. That, he added, is bogus. Under the bill, the maps would be drawn by the Legislative Reference, legislative reference Bureau, a supposedly nonpartisan staff who work for the GOP-controlled legislature, which would then vote up or down on their plan. If the maps were voted down twice, well, the legislators would then get to draw the maps themselves. Oh, well, that's helpful. Again. The uh, scheme is apparently closely modeled after Iowa's redistricting process. Legislative staff there use nonpartisan criteria to draw districts that are then subject to an up or down vote by the legislature. After the 2020 census, Iowa's Republican-led Senate voted along party lines to reject the first maps produced by the uh, staff, then accepted the second version, which resulted in Republicans winning all four of the state's congressional districts in the 2022 election. What a coincidence. Prior to that, Democrats had held at least one district for the previous two decades. And that's the model that Republicans uh, in Wisconsin are suggesting would be a compromise. That's something that we should all use. Ever said the Wisconsin legislature, quote, cannot be trusted to appoint or oversee someone charged with drawing fair maps. Wisconsinites deserve a redistricting process that's free of partisanship and interference from politicians. And it's never been clearer that today's legislature 
cannot be trusted with that important responsibility, Evers said. Uh, but again, I, I, you know, I'm not sure, but the fact that Assembly Speaker Robin Voss is floating this plan suggests to me, at least, that he may be looking for a way out of this confrontation with the Supreme Court, these threats to impeach a justice who was just elected by 11 points in the previously very closely divided state. 11 points counts as a landslide in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, they're looking to impeach her before she's even heard a single case, an impeachment that may not even be lawful under the state constitution. There is now a lawsuit against that, again, uh, to, to prevent the uh, legislature from impeaching Protosewitz since she committed no crimes, which would make it a violation of the state constitution. So the other point, the other reason that Voss, Voss may right now be trying to find a way out of this is because an impeachment of this sort is almost certain to bring huge political blowback for Republicans next year after the state purposely chose to have a four to three liberal majority in the Supreme Court, which would be gutted, uh, essentially, if they if they move forward with their plan to impeach Protosewitz. This legislative proposal now, which they could have made years ago, may signal that they know that they are not playing the smartest hand here and their ability to control the state via authoritarianism may be just about over. Quote, Speaker Voss doesn't do anything unless it benefits him and his gerrymandered Republican majority, said Democratic State Senator Mark Spritzer in a statement. The uh, Voss said at a news conference announcing the scheme, quote, if you're sick of the arguing, if you're sick of the vitriol, if you want people to work together, this is a better way for us to do it. <laughs> he said he preferred the current system for drawing maps, which gives full authority to the legislature to ensure they keep the majorities in both chambers forever. But, quote, Sometimes you have to listen and change your mind, he said. He's, he's very, he's reaching out. He's a, you know, a moderate. There's nothing radical about Robin Voss. He's, he's trying to work with all sides. He said the proposal would also avoid wasting millions of dollars fighting the two pending redistricting lawsuits and a possible impeachment. Well, you know, he doesn't have to fight those two pending redistricting lawsuits and waste all of that uh, government money on it. He doesn't need to bring an impeachment and waste all of that money on it. Republican support for a nonpartisan redistricting plan, as it turns out, comes just days as we dis just days after, as we discussed with Wisconsin's John Nichols earlier this week, just days after the Wisconsin Democratic Party announced a four million dollar campaign to pressure Republicans to back down from impeaching Protosewitz, a six-figure TV ad by targeting 20 Republican lawmakers is now set to run on Fox News. That was announced just hours before Voss announced his generous plan, his thoughtful <laughs> plan. All right, let's take a quick break here. Uh, don't worry, there is much more GOP corruption and crime 
coming to a state near you, perhaps even in the next segment of today's broadcast as we will swing through Kentucky, Texas, and Florida, if time. That's all still ahead today, plus our latest Green News Report with Desi Doyen. Yep. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Keep on shining. Yep. Shine on the one it's gone and proved and true. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Some, well, uh, sort of good news. Some, it's certainly long overdue good news out of the great state of Kentucky. A former Kentucky county clerk is being ordered to pay $100,000 to a local couple who sued the clerk after she refused to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Uh, boy, this is a story we feels like we covered forever ago. Because it was forever ago. <laughs> Kim Davis. Remember her? That, that awful woman, that uh, former clerk of... Either Rowan County or Rowan County. I don't remember how to say it. That's how many years it's been. We're going to go with Rowan County today because I think that's what they said on the uh, the local news. Rowan County, which is in eastern Kentucky. Kim Davis rose to national prominence at the time for refusing to issue same-sex marriage licenses in 2015, arguing uh, that such actions violated her personal religious beliefs. She was briefly jailed on contempt of court charges for refusing to issue those licenses. She was later released when her staff finally went ahead and issued the marriage certificates anyway, but just did not put her name on the form. Last year, a federal judge ruled that Davis had violated the constitutional rights of the two gay couples who sued her. This week, in a trial to determine damages, Davis it was determined must pay uh, $50,000 each to David Ermold and David Moore after a federal jury ordered her to do so, according to the Associated Press. Quote, discriminatory actions have consequences, said Chris Hartman, the executive director of the Kentucky-based LGBTQ plus organization, the Fairness Campaign. When you are a representative of the government, you must follow the law and treat everyone with dignity and respect, including LGBTQ Americans, Hartman added. Meanwhile, Hartman called the current treatment of LGBTQ plus communities in Kentucky, quote, abysmal, adding that trans Kentuckians face an onslaught of discrimination via anti-trans laws. In June, Kentucky's Republican-leaning legislature passed sweeping and cruel anti-LGBTQ laws, banning gender-affirming care for those under 18, allowing, well, big government to come between a doctor and uh, and, and, and their patient and prohibiting trans children from using the bathroom 
that suits their gender uh, identity at school. So if uh, someone, you know, what was born as a boy comes to believe that uh, they identify as a as a girl and they've gone to school for years with their schoolmates who think they're a girl, that girl now has to go into the boy's bathroom in order to follow the law. To be outed in front of their peers. And that, uh, of course, uh, you know, assumes they're not uh, reaching puberty at any time soon when this little girl starts to grow a beard because she's not allowed anymore to take uh, puberty blockers because big government is coming between a doctor. And, you know, we're talking doctor and a patient and we're talking about this county clerk from back in 2015. That was still the Obama era as I recall, and it was against Obamacare that many of these same folks in Kentucky were furious because they said Obamacare is coming between a doctor and the patients. Which was a lie. And we should never have big government doing that. Yes, it was a lie at the time. This is not a lie. This actually is big government coming between patients and doctors. And parents. Parents. Parents' rights. Isn't that what... Republicans are pretending to favor these days. Anyway, um, Hartman uh, did note some uh, some somewhat encouraging news here. Local communities in Kentucky are passing their own fairness ordinances that ban LGBTQ plus discrimination. Uh, That he regards as a hopeful sign. He said it highlights the disconnect between local communities, constituencies, and state representatives who do not represent the value of Kentuckians, he said. And speaking of Republican values, and I'm putting that in air quotes here. You can't see it on the radio. Our uh, (laughs) subscribers who follow the video podcast are able to see that. Did I mention you can subscribe at brandblog.com slash donate? <laughs> you, will, you will get no video uh, uh, podcasts, however, nonetheless. Uh, that's a joke, mostly. Anyway, uh, so speaking of Republican values, in Texas, in a story that I definitely don't have to, uh, time to go into details about uh, today, but may soon, I reserve the right to do so soon, so I'll just uh, share a bit of the lead here from Washington Post with you today. The star witness swept into the Texas Capitol on Wednesday, red coat and flashy Balenciaga emblazoned handbag tucked under her arms with her white sheath, red lipstick and signature platinum pixie, all a dramatic contrast from the somber suited individuals who have testified for the past week in the historic impeachment trial of wildly corrupt state attorney general Ken Paxton. Until Laura Olson, it had been mostly former Paxton staffers and law enforcement turned whistleblowers on the stand in the Senate, recounting the actions that led to him being charged with bribery, unfitness for office, abuse of office. Olson, however, served a different role in uh, in Paxton's life. She was his former mistress. Her testimony for the prosecution was much anticipated, perhaps more so than that of anyone other than wealthy Austin developer Nate Paul, a huge Paxton donor who allegedly hired Olson 
to help the attorney general secretly continue their affair. But after hours of uncertainty, as Olson's lawyer sought to have her subpoena quashed, the defense actually got a victory. Far-right Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who was overseeing the proceedings, ruled that she would not have to take the stand after all, announcing that the witness, quote, has been deemed unavailable to testify, unquote. She had no comment as she left the Capitol. Paxton's Senate impeachment trial on some 20 charges The hard right Republican Senate in Texas is threatening to remove a hard right Republican three term elected attorney general from office. Just to give you an idea of how corrupt Paxton actually is. That trial has been going on all week with the prosecution resting their case on Wednesday, I believe, and the defense getting underway thereafter. One of the articles involves the mistress, Olson, and how she came to be working for the developer, Paul, in exchange for Paxton aiding the developer, the bribe that is part of a web of malfeasance, according to the lawyers arguing the case against the attorney general. A conviction and removal from office for Paxton will need the support of two-thirds of the 31 Texas state senators, 19 of whom are Republicans and one of whom is Paxton's wife, though she is barred from voting in the matter. As noted, uh, I suspect more on that in the days ahead. But it would hardly be a segment on GOP corruption, hardly be a full show at this point almost on GOP corruption without at least a mention of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Washington Post Monmouth University polling of the South Carolina GOP primary out today finds Donald Trump has 46 percent. Nikki Haley has 18 percent. Tim Scott has 10 percent. And Ron DeSantis has 9 percent. So DeSantis, he has been uh, sinking fast in recent weeks. And what do you know? Haley is rising now. Of course, she, like Tim Scott, is from South Carolina but is still being trounced by Donald Trump in the state nonetheless. It is all worth noting in any event, uh, just in case you, like me, have a feeling that it's still possible that Donald Trump still might not end up being on the Republican ballot next November. In that case, uh, looking at everyone else who is currently running, and even some who are not running, uh, it's you know makes sense to sort of keep our eyes on that as well while we try to keep up with everything else. If Donald Trump, in the event for any reason that Donald Trump is unable to run next November, but hey, uh, the uh, Post, Washington Post today, uh, has helped Ron DeSantis to finally find a way to curry favor with GOP. Primary voters, I think, as a new report on Thursday, began to show that DeSantis can absolutely be just as corrupt as frontrunner Donald Trump if he puts his mind to it. Of course, that's silly. Nobody is as corrupt as Donald Trump. But old Meatball Ron, it looks like here, Des, uh, might be at least as corrupt as Republican Supreme Court Justices Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito. So he'll fit right in. That's got to be worth something among the GOP primary electorate, right? The Post is reporting today that the Florida governor took at least six 
undisclosed trips on private jets and accepted lodging, fancy lodging and dining in late 2018, according to flight manifest tracking data and other documents obtained by The Washington Post that reflects his proclivity for luxury travel and leisure time with wealthy donors. On one, DeSantis traveled to the prestigious Augusta National Golf Club on a plane owned by a major home builder who supplied a golf simulator in the governor's mansion. (laughs) And later, that developer benefited from $92 million in federal pandemic funding that the DeSantis administration steered to a highway interchange project that the developer had sought. DeSantis took four other flights on a plane that was registered at the time to another DeSantis donor, according to records. DeSantis did not report the flights or accommodations as gifts or campaign contributions. And it remains unclear whether he used a separate legal option to personally reimburse for the flights the cost of coach airfare, which somehow the state of Florida allows. I guess if you're a public official, you can take a private jet, I guess from a uh, campaign donor even, and as long as you repay the price for coach airfare, not what the price of a private jet would actually cost, then that is somehow legal. That's how they excuse it, yeah. That's how they roll in the Sunshine State. A DeSantis spokesperson uh, said that uh, he did comply with regulations, but he declined to specify how the costs of the trips were actually paid or how they met ethics and disclosure requirements. So there may be a lot more to come here. The undisclosed trips which have not been previously reported, reflect how DeSantis fueled his political rise through close bonds with rich patrons and had a taste for luxury travel. That, in contrast to his campaign's portrayal of DeSantis's humble, blue-collar roots and his aversion to moneyed interests. His preference for private jet travel has continued into his White House bid, even as his campaign has struggled to rein in spending. DeSantis's spokesperson, Andrew Ro- uh, Romeo, called this story, quote, Trump legacy media collusion. Whatever that may actually <laughs> mean. Uh, I think they are blaming the Trump campaign uh, campaign for this. Quote, additional questions regarding events, itineraries and documentation from almost five years ago should be directed to Susie Wiles, the staffer who oversaw such matters prior to her dismissal. Romeo continued. Ooh, throwing her under the bus. Wiles, a top Republican operative in Florida, was the head of DeSantis's transition team back in late 2018. She was publicly ousted from his political operation in 2019, and she now serves as a top advisor to Donald Trump. Wiles referred questions to the Trump campaign, whose campaign uh, spokesperson Steve Chung said, quote, the DeSantis campaign's ridiculous statement doesn't even merit a response. Instead of pointing fingers and trying to place blame on others, like they have historically done, the, the uh, DeSantis's should take a good hard look in the mirror to better understand why they chose to act unethically and sell access to their office. That was the Trump campaign spokesperson, again, <laughs> calling out DeSantis for acting unethically and selling access. 
And yet the Republicans are impeaching Joe Biden with zero evidence of wrongdoing. All right. Good luck with that. Quick break here. And uh, Green News Report is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Desi Doyen, we have been uh, following this Hurricane Lee for about two weeks now. Yep. Got a bit of an update on it that we will uh, that we will get to momentarily. But boy, this is a slow moving, uh, <laughs> slow moving storm, uh, which makes it very scary over very warm waters. Anyway, we will get to that update. After our latest Green News report. 18 to 20,000 people could be dead in the wake of Monday's historic floods. Monumental humanitarian crisis in Libya after catastrophic extreme flooding. It is striking that we've already surpassed the annual record. U.S. hits new record for billion-dollar weather disasters in a single year. Plus, Texas heat and drought causing widespread damage to local water systems. All of that damage and more straight ahead from bradblog.com i'm brad friedman and i'm desi doyan stand by for six minutes of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment no one is saying that climate isn't changing what we are saying is the business model is a monumental grift wait a minute are we talking about climate change greg gutfeld or fox news hmm this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, the situation in Libya just seems to be getting worse by the hour at this point. Indeed, it does. As we go to air, a full-blown humanitarian crisis is unfolding in northeastern Libya, where the death toll in the city of Derna has risen above 6,000 after 16 inches of rain in one day generated massive floods that destroyed two dams and swept away entire neighborhoods. Mm. More than 30,000 individuals are estimated to be displaced with widespread shortages of clean water, food, and medicine. The catastrophe underscores how the world's 20th century infrastructure was not designed for the new era of extreme weather disasters made more frequent and intense by human-caused global warming. A new analysis has found that since 1900, a full quarter of the deadliest weather disasters in Africa have occurred in just the past seven years. I had a feeling when this began that we were going to be looking at thousands dead. Now we're looking at Tens of thousands dead. Yes, it's just horrific. 
Here in the U.S., although not nearly on the same scale, yet another intense storm triggered flash floods that forced evacuations in some parts of New England this week. It dumped 10 inches of rain in just six hours in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, with heavy flooding destroying roads, carving out sinkholes, and eroding dams. No deaths were reported, but Leminster, Massachusetts Mayor Dean Mazzarella said the damage is widespread. We lost a number of roads, we lost a few buildings, structural damage. Uh, all of these rivers overflowed and brought debris, and we have a partial uh, building collapse just around the corner, and most of downtown was flooded. The storm was not related to Hurricane Lee churning out in the Atlantic, which is forecast to bring even more storm impacts in coming days. Climate change is costly. 2023 isn't over yet, but NOAA announced that the U.S. has already set a new record for billion-dollar weather disasters in a single calendar year. Those are weather disasters that cause more than a billion dollars each in damages. Four in the month of August alone. This year so far, the U.S. has been struck by 23 separate billion-dollar weather and climate disasters, the highest number since NOAA began tracking it in 19. The toll includes the Maui firestorms in Hawaii, Midwestern drought, and multiple extreme storms and floods. Mm. NOAA scientists said, quote, we are seeing the fingerprints of climate change all over our nation. And we are just over three quarters of the way through the year. Yep. And in Texas, this summer's record heat has damaged water systems across the state. The Texas Tribune reports that as heat and drought dry out the soil, the soil control tracts, displacing and rupturing underground pipes, forcing cities to find new funding to fix thousands of new water leaks. And that, in turn, is hampering water conservation efforts amid a drought and highlights additional vulnerabilities of our critical infrastructure to man-made global warming impacts. But there is some good news. The Federal Emergency Management Agency this week announced $3 billion in new funding for communities in 27 states to build infrastructure resilience against climate change-fueled extreme weather, thanks to funding from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. Germany enacted a new law banning installations of most oil and gas heating systems starting in 2024. Critics say the law's targets were watered down, but it will still cut emissions from the home heating sector by nearly two-thirds. And finally, encouraging news for building electrification. A new study finds that even in sub-zero temperatures, all electric heat pumps actually outperform fossil fuels. Even at temperatures down to minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit, electric heat pumps are twice as efficient and cheaper than oil and gas heating systems. And that may be why in Norway, electric heat pumps today make up almost all heating installations. And beginning next year, a whole bunch of Americans are going to be able to put heat pumps into their own homes and have them paid for under the Inflation Reduction Act. Yep. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Pump it up. 
Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, yes. It was, I think it was two weeks ago where you said at the very end of one of the broadcasts, we need to mention this. We need to mention Hurricane Lee. That was two weeks ago. I know. It is still moving through the Atlantic, moving north. I yes. Think it's, it's, now... a, it's a measure of how hot the Atlantic Ocean is that it can sustain a hurricane for this long and going up into the colder waters near New England. Uh, it's the first time uh-huh. in 15 years that the National Hurricane Center has issued a hurricane watch for the state of Maine. Maine. Yeah. So it, we got uh, dangerous rip currents and surf conditions are expected for much of the east coast of the United States as Hurricane Lee makes its way northward. Looks like it might go for Nova Scotia around Saturday or so. We'll Looks find like out. Uh, New Brunswick and then Newfoundland after uh, after it, it sort of hits the, uh, the, the tip of Maine, at least under its pro- currently projected path. That could still change because because right. this is slow. It's been unpredictable for a while. It is currently brushing Bermuda, I believe, as we go to air here. So be careful, Bermuda, because this is a, just a huge storm. Yes, keep an eye on both the track and on the cone, because even if you're outside the cone, if you're on the East Coast, the National Hurricane Center and the National Weather Service both say, get ready, expect lots of rain, lots of wind, and if you're on the coast, expect some storm surge. It'll get, you know, much worse as you go more north in the United States, but pretty much everybody's going to get some kind of hit from this if you are on the East Coast. So um, the region that, what's really hard about this, I think, though, is that the region around Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Remember, they just had a really heavy-duty rainstorm that caused all kinds of infrastructure damage, and that was not even related to Hurricane Lee. We just talked about that, and they still have not recovered from that. They still have lots of damage that Mm -hmm. they're trying to cover up in time for the rains that are expected from Lee. And there will be lots of it after it's been uh, moving for two weeks across the Atlantic, gathering energy, gathering moisture, um, in these record warm waters. Yep. Uh, in these record terrible times. So let's, uh, let's buckle up, guys. Buckle up indeed. All right. Thanks again, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, need to hear it again or need to share it with anyone you know, love, or hate, you can do so for free at bradblog.com. No paywall there made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you. I'd hope to do a listener mail segment today. There was just too damn much news, however. <laughs> uh, maybe next week we'll keep trying. And you can find, follow, and share everything we do on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter at, at no at Brad at <laughs> the Brad Blog. There we go. That's the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>